Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Sharon, we're back again. Yes. Another day at the At the office. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say office, but I changed it. Yeah. And we have our first guest on the line, so I'll let you introduce him. Uh, Kevin Falcon, welcome. Are you there? Kevin? Kevin? Yes. Oh, there you are. I don't know. I think uh, I think Judy was m- muffling you. <laughs> I think I only hit the whole well, button once. <laughs> and welcome, Kevin Falcom, to Senior Moments. And we've had a couple of people who are running for the leadership of uh, of the Liberal Party, but we haven't had anybody with your real experience. So um, that's why I've given you extra time, because I think you have a lot of experience. I, I forget how many years, 2001 to 2013, is that? That's exactly right. It is. Exactly. Eh? Yeah. yeah. And and so you've had different positions in the, and you started off as a SOCRED. Absolutely. I was a young SOCRED at Simon Fraser University. Uh, and even back in those days, we were sort of trying to battle the the left wing out at, at the campus there at SFU, which is pretty notoriously uh, socialist. Oh yes, <laughs> so yeah. I got my I got my start early. Yeah. Well, with the name of social credit, why wouldn't you be a socialist? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, social credit as a name, you're, you're totally correct. If you actually followed through what the original philosophy was, it was a very bizarre uh, monetary policy kind of philosophy uh, that came out of Alberta. But at the end of the day, social credit represented more of an umbrella, an umbrella that free enterprise supporters could get behind, whether they supported conservatives federally or liberals federally or even NDP. Mm-hmm. But they could all come together provincially under that umbrella to you know, oppose the NDP uh, threat. Yes. And really, that's what the BC Liberals uh, became, is, is essentially social credit under a different name. Yeah, because social credit then disappeared, and then we had the NDP, the Liberal... And uh, and now we've got the Greens. But we do need more than one party, in my humble estimation. <laughs> yes, yes, I would agree. Yeah, and I, because it gets boring after a while. And, and the other thing, they're all talking about changing the name of the Liberal Party. But how are you about that? Well, I was the one that really started that. To be honest with you, when I launched my campaign, one of the things that I said was that I thought that as part of the rejuvenation, re-energizing, rebuilding of this party, we should look at rebranding. And by that, I mean changing the name. But I said it's subject to two things. Uh, One is that we can sort of bury the BC Liberal name and not have anyone be able to use it Mm -hmm. mischievously, uh, you know, to run candidates again. And secondly, that we can find an alternative name that we can all, you know, unite and get behind. So subject to those two provisos, uh, I would be supportive. Yes, and being from Ontario, you know, when I came out here and heard about the Liberal Party, I thought it was connected to the Liberals in Ontario, or in the federal mm-hmm. government, I should say. And yes. and so that's the misnomer. And, and there's so many people escaping from, oh, I shouldn't use that term, from Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and coming out to beautiful BC. And they just figure you're connected. And so that's one of the reasons why I would support the change of that name. Yeah. 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 And, and, and just like so Sharon, uh, you know, I've, I run into that too. Look, I've been a long time federal conservative, for example, and, and yet, mm-hmm. you know, I still have people that are confused and think our party is connected to the federal party, which it isn't. It yeah. has no connection to either of the federal parties, which is the way it should be. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. And so you were in, um, involved with the, uh, the Liberal Party for quite a few years, and you had different ministries. I think your last one was Minister of Health, was it? No, my last one was, uh, I was Deputy Premier and Minister of Finance. Uh, that's, oh, that's right, uh, with that's Christy. That's how I ended off. Yeah. Prior to that, I was Minister of Health uh, for two years, and prior to that, I was one of the longest-serving uh, ministers of transportation in the history of the province, right up there with Phil Gillardi and Alex Fraser, for oh, some of yeah. your listeners may remember those names. Yeah, Flying Phil. Flying Phil, exactly. (laughs) And uh, I was very proud to have been involved in, you know, so many uh, projects, including the Simon Fraser Bridge replacement, uh, Highway 16 improvements. Mm -hmm. The Caribou Connector was uh, one of the initiatives that I was uh, responsible for. And and really just roads, bridges, and infrastructure right across the province that uh, I think are very, very important as we think about making sure that the next generation, uh, you know, capitalizes on the investments that we make. Yeah. Yeah. My concern is, is, uh, is the financial and the economic versus the environment and mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, we get too much involved in, uh, removing our resources instead of saving them. And, uh, and I don't know how much you're interested in environmental. You have two daughters now. You quit politics so that you could be at home raising your daughters. And so I think having children must change people's minds about things. It sure does. You know, look, I, I should say, you know, I did. I resigned uh, from public life. Uh, I was fortunate to, uh, you know, have a, a winning, an unblemished winning record in all, all of the three elections that I ran in mm-hmm. as an MLA. But I made the decision to re- retire from public life because my wife at that time was pregnant with our second daughter, Rose. And I just, you know, I wanted to go back into the private sector and I wanted to be a, a dad that was going to be present, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, my, as we raised as my wife and I, Jessica and I, raised our kids. And so the last eight years have been a gift, really. It's been just such a wonderful gift. But you're right. I think it does. You know, my principles haven't changed, but my perspectives uh, have. Mm-hmm. And I look at the environment, and it is something that I think a lot about. I think we all do, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think most people want to protect biodiversity. They want to protect everything that, you know, that is good about living in British Columbia. And they want to make sure that what resource extraction we do undertake is really, really done very, very thoughtfully and sensitively so that uh, we are preserving, you know, um, you know, biodiversity for the next generation. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the indigenous people plan for seven generations. And and in my mind, um, my generation, which is uh, um, elderly, <laughs> we we planned only for ourselves. You know, I I don't see that there was a plan to really uh, save the um, the planet the way that it should have been. My grandfather had a few hundred acres of crown land back in Ontario, but that's all he wanted. He wasn't thinking of the bigger picture, though he did teach us the importance of 
the land, of the water, and how to make a fire and how to have uh, gravity-fed water and stuff like that. But we've ruined the earth, and and uh, right now everybody's talking about the red light is on and and we're going down the hill and uh, uh the green party has uh, sent out a um a thing to sign saying that government has to stop funding climate um uh, polluters which is oil and gas and right. and uh uh, the Green Party is, you know, thinking green, and um, I'm I'm from an era of where the Liberals were pretty. Um, they took away an awful lot of important things, like the Women's Equality Ministry, like uh, Riverview and Essendale, and and uh, those buildings where we've got all these people living on the street now, and uh, they closed um, our treatment center. And our detox, and uh, there's an awful lot of things that were happening during Gordon Campbell and Christy Clark's uh, reign, and uh, and so I'm worried about that. That the liberals, sure, um, we have all these people living on the street. We have pe- more people dying of overdose than of COVID. So let's let's talk about that because I think you've raised some very important issues, and and they're they're issues that are very close to my heart. Uh, because I've spent the last eight years that I've been out of government on the board of the Street to Home Foundation. Yes. And we've raised $30 million, and we've built 3,000 units of housing for the homeless, and we've, more importantly, really drilled down to study the issues of who are these homeless, how do we help actually get them better so that they can get off the streets, et cetera. So there's something I've given a lot of uh, thought to. One thing I should say, correct you on, though, Sharon, is that uh, uh, Riverview and Essendale were actually, um, you know, most of, uh, most of that closing all happened under the old social credit uh, party. And, and, and NDP, should, yeah, NDP. Yes, and, and, and then, NDP. But, but understand yeah. it, it, why it happened. It happened because there was a movement uh, largely based on a movie that came out called One Flew over the cuckoo's nest, <laughs> yes. and uh, it really did. It, it really affected, um, you know, the the treatment of the mentally ill. And so, what what became sort of de rigueur was the idea that you had to let them out of these institutions. Uh, but the problem was there was never any proper supports That's provided right. once they were once they were released. And mm-hmm. so, we're witnessing that fallout. And I think one of the first things that we have to acknowledge is that. Um, you know, social credit probably didn't handle that well. I would argue that we did not handle that well as a BC Liberal mm-hmm. government. And uh, the NDP are not handling it well today mm-hmm. uh, because, in fact, in the last five years, what we've seen is things have gotten dramatically worse. Yeah. So we had, for example, after over 1,700 people die of drug overdoses, and that's more than we lost to COVID, and yeah. yet nobody talks about these poor people. Yeah. And, you know, behind every one of those statistics is a story, and it's an individual, and it's somebody's son or daughter or mm-hmm. brother, sister, or Grandpa. mother, father. And, yeah. and, and, and I do think that we have to really take a hard examination, all of us uh, that are in government or aspire to be in government, to say, wait a minute, what are we going to do differently? So let me just take a moment on this, if I could, to tell you Please. what I would do differently. Mm-hmm. 
the, the first thing I can tell you that what we've learned, and I look out my window here at downtown Vancouver, and we've got all kinds of problems in the downtown east side in particular, mm-hmm. uh, but it is increasingly spreading to other communities. A lot of social chaos and disorder, uh, drug addicts, uh, you know, that are wandering the streets being exploited and abused. Um, we've got mentally ill people that drug addicts then, you know, uh, get hooked on drugs, mm-hmm. make their lives even worse. And the same thing happens in Prince George and mm-hmm. Kamloops and all over the province. So what do we have to do differently? The first thing we have to do is recognize that those with severe mental illness and or addiction issues, uh, and I mean severe, and there's a lot of them out there, um, we have to uh, really remove them from the streets very compassionately with yeah. a lot of love and care, but put them into genuine 24-7 care. And not not sort of the Riverview model of the old, of the past, mm-hmm. but a new model that says, you know, um, a, a new building, at, it could be at Riverview, because it's mm-hmm. very beautiful and bucolic there. It is. Uh, with nice, yeah. nice gardens, proper care and attention, mm-hmm. so that these, these individuals can be looked after with the kind of care they deserve. And with a goal of hopefully one day streaming them back into, you know, into society with the kind of proper supports they deserve. Yeah. Now, um, that is very important because right now the approach government is taking is just leaving these folks to fend for themselves on the streets or putting them into a temporary shelter, pretending that they're providing the care for them when they're not, and still allowing them to wander the streets to be exploited and abused. So I think that's number one. Number two mm-hmm. is we have to move away from the current government's approach, which is we just need to make sure we continue to provide a safe supply of drugs to these people. Uh, instead of saying, wait a minute, how can we actually get people off of drugs? That ought to be our number one priority. And uh, that means that when somebody has that moment of you know, mm-hmm. clarity where, where they say, I need help, mm-hmm. we have to be able to provide that detox immediately. Yes. And then we need to be able to transition them into longer term um, uh, you know, uh, addiction recovery mm-hmm. that can actually have a goal of getting them off of addiction, like a Baldy Hughes type mm-hmm. model mm-hmm. or something similar that can, can really help them. Mm-hmm. And what I've discovered uh, in my studies and watching everything the government's been doing over the past 15 years is that we cycle people in and out of treatment programs. Mm-hmm. They're typically 30 or 60 day programs mm-hmm. and virtually nobody is getting better. And I think we just have to do a lot better. Well, I have to get realistic. Uh, a year, I would I would look at a program six months and then nine months and then a year, but you know at different stages um, and not lock them into a year like Baldy Hughes does. I was on the board of directors there for quite some years, and uh, and I can uh, support harm reduction as long as the end result is total abstinence, yeah. and I yeah. think that. You know, that uh, prescription, um, you know, a doctor looking after uh, your medication um, instead of going in and sh- and into a shooting gallery and getting your free drugs. They should be monitored by a nurse or somebody who has the training in how much are you using. Because I worked in the field for 40 years. I know what they do. They they pass that methadone from mouth to mouth, and they yeah. they do all kinds of horrible things. The other thing, Kevin, is in those years that I've worked with them, and I've worked in the jail, and I've I've um, ran a supportive recovery um, for women, and I've worked with men. I was on Baldy Hughes. Is trauma 
is the root. Mm-hmm. And there's so we have to look at the root, and the root is trauma. We have to have trauma informed practice, and uh, um, the enabling stuff that's going on right now is disgraceful. And uh, people, there is no place here in Prince George that you can just phone and say, "I want to quit," and you can go in. You're screened. Yes. No. Look, I think you've raised a really, really important point, and that is the term enabling, because what we're doing is creating an enabling ecosystem that actually allows and supports a lifestyle of just continued uh, drug use Mm -hmm. without more of a focus on getting off of drugs. For example, the shooting galleries, as you call them, or the safe injection sites that Mm -hmm. we set up, the whole purpose of safe injection sites, and I know because I was a health minister that defended them against a lot of people were very critical, but the whole point of them was supposed to be about connecting the addicts to services mm-hmm. so that at that moment when they're in there looking to shoot up safely, we could try and uh, connect them to services to get them off of the drug. Mm-hmm. What has happened now today, it's evolved. If you go down to your local downtown Prince George uh, safe injection site, you will find there's a nurse there and that's it. And yep. the nurse just, you know, makes sure that they've got their clean needle and that they can shoot up safely. Uh, but, but there's not the connection to services that it really should be all about. Every moment you've got them in there, we ought to be trying to figure out how we get them into care and Mm -hmm. and, uh, get them off of drugs. You're right, trauma is often a big part of it, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, we, we have to make sure that uh, that we support them. I also went down to the tent city while I was there. Oh, yes. Uh, it, it just, it, the reason I did it, actually, was just because we had a, a, a couple of boxes of pizza left over from an event I was at, and mm-hmm. so... You know, we said, look, why don't we just go down to the tent city and drop them off? But, mm-hmm. you know, I went down there and chatted up some of the folks and dropped off the pizza. And I just, you know, all I can think about as I walk away from there, I just think, you know, the the, the absolute waste of, of human potential mm-hmm. yes. is just so, so yeah. devastating. We just cannot... Uh, allow this to continue, or at least we have to do our very, very best to, you know, get these folks into proper recovery. And I think the important thing, Kevin, is to um, acknowledge that some of the staff that work in this field are in recovery themselves. Mm-hmm. And I was at a, a big meeting down in Vancouver a few years ago with Baldy Hughes, and I spoke up about some of the people who were working in the field that were in recovery and were... Um, Afraid to share that with the other people who are, don't have addictions. Everybody's got an addiction, for God's sake. And just uh, what one is it? And and you know um, that is a shame because for me, I think the best worker is the one who has personal experience, has uh, taken responsibility for the recovery, understands the reactions to trauma, and has. Um, gone through university and got a degree Mm -hmm. oh kevin we have to take a short we have to take a short break and then we'll come right back with kevin falcon who's running for the leadership of the liberal party we'll be right back kevin featuring the latest songs from artists in canada and from around the world hosted by djs from coast to coast to coast 30 minutes of canada's newest music downloaded exclusively from the earshot's digital distribution system for more information about the show check out earshot-distro.ca listen up canada this is your show on your station canada's earshot daily 
Earshot Daily, weekday nights at 1125 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Grizzly Bear Foundation's Grizzcast is back with new podcasts for the summer. Check out Episode 4 with former war correspondent, wilderness guide, and activist Julius Strauss venturing into B.C.'s rare inland temperate rainforest. From the fight to end the grizzly bear hunt across the province to the expanding role of bear viewing and conservation, the Grizzly Bear Foundation celebrates recent achievements while discussing pressing threats to grizzlies in the Kootenays and beyond. New Grizzly Bear Foundation Grizzcasts, now available at grizzlybearfoundation.com. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for good news. If you have a good news story you'd like to share with other seniors, email it to info.pgcos at gmail.com with good news story in the subject line. Selected stories will be published in an upcoming edition of the Senior Times newsletter. They're also accepting recipe submissions. If you're not currently receiving the Senior Times, contact the Council of Seniors by emailing info.pgcos at gmail.com to get your copy today. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy. A 30% chance of showers early this afternoon. Wind from the southwest at 20K, gusting to 40. A high of 23 with a high UV index. Tonight, clear. Gusting southwest winds continuing, a low of 11. On Wednesday, mainly sunny. Winds switching from the northwest at 20, gusting to 40. A high of 26 with a very high UV index. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Manor. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we're back again. Welcome back, Kevin Falcon. Um, now, probably, do we need to say anything more about uh, addictions? Or would you like to talk about other ideas that you have? No, sure. Let's talk about other ideas. The only, uh, the final point I want to say on that, Sharon, that I think is important is simply this, uh, that your listeners, I think, will appreciate. And that is... Um, we cannot expect to get different results if we keep doing the same thing. Yep. And and what the current government is doing is just doing more of the same, mm-hmm. hoping to get different results. And mm-hmm. the reality is it will not work. So that I'll leave it at that. Well, that's the definition of insanity. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. So now let's talk about economics and investments and, and environment and stuff. We've got 10 minutes. Sure. Well, look, I, I, I just think it's always important. Government's first job has to be to make sure, yeah, has to be to make sure that we are creating an environment that encourages people to make investments, create jobs, hire young people, uh, and, you know, create the workforce for tomorrow and, and generate the kind of revenues that we need in government so that we can fund first class public services. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't ever want to get, have to be in a position that I was in in 2001 when we got elected and we had to clean up 10 years of NDP government and it oh, wasn't yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, eight, eight out of their 10 years in power, they ran up huge deficits. Oh. We, we had seven credit rating downgrades. We had all kinds of challenges with unions and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people forget that now mm-hmm. uh, because we've had so many years of labor peace uh, mm-hmm. that, but it took a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, fights and and uh, you know challenges to get the economy straightened out to where we were the number one in the country again and we had the lowest taxes uh, among the lowest taxes in the country and here we are in four short years and we're back to the highest tax rates in North America again at 53.5 percent we've got credit rating downgrades yeah. have started already three weeks ago mm-hmm. and uh, I just don't like the trend 
trend that I'm seeing in government. A lot of just, you know, it's not that they're bad people, by the way. I think they mean well. It's just that they're not particularly competent when it comes to running large organizations like a government. And I think competence and leadership are important. Well, there was such great hope for them because we were tired of of what uh, uh, Clark's regime was doing. And I think a lot of people uh, jumped ship and, and thought we'd get something new, but it's just old again. It's just the same. And everybody's telling me that, and just exactly what you said. And uh, how 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 are we going to get things? So we have to have a change. And so yeah, are I you going to be I, I the really change? Do, and, and yeah. You know, Sharon, that's why I'm doing this. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, anyone that knows me knows that I'm not doing this because I need the job. I definitely don't. Yeah. I, I, I can assure you that, uh, you know, the private sector, I've been enjoying working in the private sector, and mm-hmm. I love spending time with my family, but I genuinely care a lot about this party in this province. And mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that right now, at this particular moment in the B.C. Liberal uh, history of this party, we need somebody that's got a combination of private sector experience and public sector experience. And mm-hmm. uh, I am alone among all the candidates mm-hmm. that actually has experience in government. That's right. Governing mm-hmm. as a minister of finance, minister of transportation, a minister of health. And uh, I think coupled with my private sector background, I think that is the right mix of attributes that we need for the BC Liberal Party right now. Well, and when you say that, I think about the federal government and and we have a a prime minister that had no experience. And, you know, it's the same thing uh, with this leadership race. You don't want to have somebody who walks in with no kind of experience and how to work through that system that we have as a government. I had Mike uh, Morris on a week or so ago for a whole hour talking about how our system works. None of us know. We don't take it at school and we don't know how slow it all works. We need someone who can go in there and, and uh, help get the, um, you know, there's a lot of new thing, new laws that have to be put in place. And uh, Mike's idea of having um, you know, the police and then the sort of social worker police uh, is a great idea as well. Absolutely. In fact, uh, Mike, I'm, I'm proud to say, is one of my supporters. Uh, he's a great, very effective MLA. Yes. And uh, I think he raises good points. But yours is a very valid one, too. Just the, the whole idea of experience. Look, this is a, you know, um, a lot of the, all the candidates that are running for the leadership are good people. They mm-hmm. all bring something to the table. But mm-hmm. I can tell you this, um, as, as someone from the lower mainland, uh, it took me probably really five, six years before I really got to understand just how big and vast this problem Provinces. You know, most people don't know that, you know, Prince, well, in the north they do, but in the lower mainland, they don't know that Prince George really, it's not really the north, it's the middle. Yep. And you've still got a heck of a way to go before you get to the peace country. Yep. And, uh, you know, they don't really understand the difference between the northwest and the northeast, nope. and the caribou and the interior, and North Island, South Island, etc. So I think that just understanding of this province is important. The second thing is understanding how to lead on day one. In, that, in other mm-hmm. words, how to lead a caucus, how how to lead, uh, you know, in terms of policy ideas, how to be able to go out and, and talk to people and get them excited about, you know, our prospects and the province and the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that does take a, you know, a collection of skills that, uh, uh, that it takes, frankly, years and years to hone. Well, and I, we had Mike on talking about why he supported you. And, um, you know, he knows from experience 
from going in as an RCMP. At least he, he knew about rules and stuff. But, you know, I, I think that it takes you five years to get a job under your belt where you can uh, do a good job and the first five years are getting paid to learn something. Yes, yeah, I, I think that's very true. And and even as somebody like I, you know, I, I studied political science in university. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was my major. But even when I first got elected in two thousand and one, I was in my thirties. I'd never been elected to anything before. Yeah. And honestly, I you know, with everything I knew, I still realized I knew very little. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I had to learn a lot about the legislature and how things work and all the rest of it. So I I do think that's important, and and I do think that kind of experience uh, for our party right now is very very critical yeah we've just got a couple of minutes but um do um i forget his first name but he's got his name forward he's got a pretty good package for seniors and uh i um we only we put out a re, um an invitation to all the people who are, are running for leadership and you're one of the three that accepted. So we're not even going to consider those other guys if they think we're so little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's great. It's, I think it's Gavin Dew. Yes, it is Gavin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and he's a nice young fella, you know. Um, but I really do have to say that people with experience have to, you got to walk in and be able to roll up your sleeves immediately. This is important stuff. The the other thing that I got into it, oh, I, I got to go quickly, but the other thing I got into a bit of a, a struggle with Mike was, I said, Mike, I want all of the people who run for office to have a, um, a personnel, uh, personality test to see if they're okay. <laughs> Well, I can answer that because I think if you're running for office, you're not okay. I don't think so either. <laughs> There's got to be something wrong with yeah, the there decision does, I'm making. Kevin. Kevin, I really appreciate the time and the discussion, and uh, uh, I would like to have some more. I think I'll call you again towards when this really gets ramped up and, sure. and ask, ask you some hard questions about the environment and about seniors. Sounds wonderful. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you for your time. Okay, you too. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. So we'll take a short break. No, 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 no no break, Sharon. Oh, okay. So we have our quick break. Okay. Um, We have our next guest coming in. So uh, if we can get Annie Booth to come in. Um, No, just leave that. Yeah, yeah, I'll get the thing. Anyway, I hope that you um, heard what Kevin said. And I, you know... I really think a lot of Mike Morris and and uh, um, his opinion, and and I think that Mike's on to something uh, supporting um, Kevin because Kevin does have all that experience. And right now we got a lot of problems with um, with health and with mental health. And I forgot to I forgot to bring forward to. Uh, Kevin, that one in five Canadians have mental health challenges. Come on, Annie Booth is just coming in. We're going to have a conversation. Um, There's another one over here. Hi, Annie. Hi. We're going to have a good conversation about Olefin and whatever else Annie wants to talk about. (laughs) Hi, Annie. Who we got with you? Uh, hi, I'm Zoe Miletus. Well, Annie's knocking down stuff. Her powerful force. You can take that off if you wish. Thank you. We're okay. I've got my shots. Okay. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> so Annie, Annie is the professor of environmental studies at UMBC, and you've been up there from almost the beginning. Twenty-eight years. Oh, it is the beginning, isn't it? What brought you to? Can you hear okay? Have I got this up enough? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What brought you to uh, Prince George of all places? There was a job, and when I graduated, there weren't a lot of academic jobs. Yeah. So I went on five interviews and got one job offer, which in uh, 1992-93 was actually considered pretty extraordinary. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so I love that you've been here for so long. You're now a Prince George person, just like I am. No, never will be. I wasn't no. born here. <laughs> no, and I wasn't either. But I uh, And I... I try not to call Ontario home because <laughs> I've been here since 68. Yes. So let's talk about olefin. I, I, I so. looked it up a little bit um, and did a bit of research, and it denies that they're going to be doing anything plastic. So I'm saying that. Yeah. So. And so their plan is to come in and open up, what, three? Seven. Seven. To begin with. Three is what they talk about now. At first, it was just one. But if you look at their plans in the longer term, it's that site that we call Too Close to Home um, is a multi-facility site, right? A, a huge petrochemical development. And Plus that's one BCR? Up in Pine, View. Pine View. Oh, yes. No, no, that's the, that's the BCR. And yeah. then there's now the one yeah, up in Pine There's a new Pine one up in Pine View, View so it's eight. Plus, they keep talking about additional. One, I mean, it's kind of the... Being a little bit pregnant, once you're you keep going, right? You you once you've got seven, eight, yep, you've got yep. your foot in the door. You can keep locating things here. So, do they have the foot in the door? Or are, are are you know have has the mayor had a meeting with everybody yet? A well, second one or? I think we'd all like to know um, the yeah. answer to questions like that. I think they're presenting to the media that they have their foot in the door, you rarely hear the word proposed project. Um, and that's what it is. It's a proposed project. Yes. It's really important. We all keep using that. Um, it's not approved. It's not a done deal. No part of it is. Yes. So uh, when I went on their site, it just shows you stage one, stage two, stage three. And then you try to get into those stages. There's no information. There's no there. information. They've been very cagey. In fact, people were literally unaware uh, of the work that they were doing up in Pineview, except for the very small circle of residents in Pineview within the 3.5 kilometer range. I actually emailed city council about it, and the councillor said, we didn't know that was still going on. So they're being very under the wire, being very quiet, kind of sneaking stuff in, not being very open uh, about it. Yeah. Uh, and But there is a perception that the mayor's on board. There is a perception. Um, there are some people who are very keen to see it come in, the movers and shakers. I think, uh, yeah. Regional district is kind of interested in the Pineview one because it will bring in a tax base. Yeah. The thing that really worries me is they're not thinking, well, yes, you might bring in a few million dollars uh, in, in revenues and they're probably a few jobs, although most of them will probably be you know, more expertise than we have. But yeah. what are you going to lose? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. You're going to lose the university. You're going to lose a lot of the staff at the hospital. You're going to lose all the small businesses. Uh, you're going to lose all the people that they're putting in housing in College Heights for who want to move up from Vancouver. Yeah. Because who wants to move to a toxic waste site? Yeah. The university will go because no kids will want to come. The parents won't send them. Yeah. To a toxic waste zone. Yeah. Who's going to move here from Vancouver? Yeah. They'll all come right. from China. Yeah, well. They're used to the pollution. Oh, 
I should well, have said I, that. I think that's one thing for sure. You know, a lot of people have worked really hard to invest in downtown and diversifying PG's economy. Mm-hmm. And when you see people proudly putting those I Heart PG stickers yeah. on their cars or in the business windows, they're not saying I Heart Dirty Air, I Heart Increased Environmental Impact, yeah. right? They're trying to get the city to change course a little bit. We mm-hmm. actually had this amazing retired tradesman who had worked in a lot of the heavy industries who came to one of our public meetings a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, something to the effect of, I remember when the air was so thick in Prince George that you could see it, you could taste it. I worked in those places, and I do not want us to go back there, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. He wants something better for his final decades and for his family yeah. and his children and grandchildren. Well, I, I saw something about 195 countries, uh, you know, are against uh, plastic, single plastic use. Yes. And so I didn't even know how many countries there were in the world. 195. Mm-hmm. And so then I did a little research about, okay, so what's, where's Canada on this? And 2021, uh, we were supposed to be not using. Yeah. They're working on it very slowly. Uh, yeah. And but there's I, a chance to even ban single use plastics in Prince George. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how can you ban it, but produce it? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I mean. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And, and so, um, I know that, uh, Walmart is banning the use of bags in Ontario. And I think it's coming here. I've seen Mm -hmm. more people. COVID kind of took that away and everybody jumped on the plastic bag wagon and stopped using because we couldn't take our own bags in because they might have germs on them. And, and so, 195 countries signed on to the climate change and and Canada is supposed to be part of that. Well, we're part of Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really runs counter to a lot of important, more sustainable visions people have for the future at every level, right? From mm-hmm. you go to elementary schools in Prince George, you say the word, you know, plastic production or, you know, clear cutting and kids will freak out. They know that's not the way forward. Yes. We're all reading about the IPCC's most recent report. And then some of the people will say, well, isn't it better that we produce plastics at home here um, than elsewhere? But these plastic pellets that that they sometimes talk about that are part of their proposed petrochemical site, they will be for export. So they will not stick around. We will not be making our own plastics. We'll not be absorbing the own impact of our consumer lifestyles. That's not going to happen. So we will literally be sacrificing our environment and quality of water and quality of air for foreign markets. Well, I read um, last night that there's a, a dump truck full of Paper, uh, plastic bags every minute dumped into the ocean. Yes. And they said by 2050 there'll be more bag plastic in the ocean than fish. Well, that's true. You're already eating plastic waste when you're eating uh, fish. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, whatever you choose to do, and there are some interesting things coming up with microorganisms that, that uh, biodegrade plastics and reduce them. There are different ways of dealing with plastic waste. Uh, and 
there may be cause uh, there are existing refineries that deal with some of these things and take up some of the the many chemicals that are coming through the pipelines what they're proposing to do however is not place this outside of the city they're proposing to literally place it within about a three mile radius of my house in college heights in the bcr site yeah. just across the river yeah. they're putting it in pine view literally within sight of residents uh inside of the school up in pine view inside of the general store so for some reason neither the politicians and the movers and shakers who thinks this is a good idea nor west olefans who think it's a wonderful idea think that the people who already li- live here really matter we can be sacrificed. We don't matter for the few jobs and a little bit of tax base this might bring in. They're telling me that my house is going to take an 80% drop because who's going to buy in a contaminated site? That's they right. don't care. Yeah. If my health goes because of the contaminants, and these are cancer-causing materials, right? These are things that cause brain cancers, things like that. We would become the Cancer Alley of British Columbia, much like the Sarnia region in Ontario, yep. and much like Cancer Alley in Louisiana, where the cancer rates are about 150 times what they are in other places without this concentration. So my health, my house, my job, because the university will go when this comes, yep. those are nothing. And I would like to really understand why mayor and council Right? Why the regional district thinks I'm worth sacrificing, Zoe's worth sacrificing, yeah. you're worth sacrificing. Yeah. All these residents who call, who came to Prince George for lifestyle, for ambiance, for mm-hmm. work that doesn't involve this, why we're worth throwing in the garbage for the sake of this petrochemical plant that won't actually employ the number of people. If you talk, look at what they're proposing, they're very cagey on how many jobs are going to come out of it. A lot of these things are automated, so there's not a lot of operating staff. Even the construction is probably very specialized construction, so local companies won't be able to bid on it. Mm -hmm. There's no jobs. There's really just a little bit of tax base. And will that offset everything Prince George will lose? I don't think so. Sharon, we got to take a break. Oh, do we? Oh, okay. we got to take a short break, Annie and and Zoe, and we'll be right back. Alzheimer's Society of BC's virtual education sessions provide the opportunity to discuss a dementia-related topic in a smaller group and a chance to ask questions. Learn and discuss strategies to maintain or improve your brain health with an introduction to brain health Thursday from 10 to 11.30. For more information or to register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033 or email info.helpline at alzheimerbc.org. The Prince George Council of Seniors Meals on Wheels program is in need of volunteer drivers for summer relief. The program is a valuable part of the Council of Seniors' efforts in our community, providing affordable and nutritious hot noon hour meals to elderly, homebound, post-operative, and disabled individuals for over 20 years. It's much more than just food delivery. If you can spare a couple of hours a week to help out, call Nicole at the Council of Seniors, 250-564-5888. City crews have finished construction of a new crosswalk on Tyner Boulevard at the intersection with Baker and Gannett Roads. The new crosswalk has a rectangular rapid flashing beacon design. This means in addition to standard crosswalk paving markings and signage, pedestrians are able to activate flashing lights to alert motorists of their presence. Motorists are reminded to watch for pedestrians utilizing the new marked crossing. More information on the new Tyner Boulevard crosswalk is available through the Roads and Transportation link under City Services at PrinceGeorge.ca. 
Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy. A 30% chance of showers early this afternoon. Wind from the southwest at 20K, gusting to 40. A high of 23 with a high UV index. Tonight, clear. Gusting southwest winds continuing, a low of 11. On Wednesday, mainly sunny. Winds switching from the northwest at 20, gusting to 40. A high of 26 with a very high UV index. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community on 93.1 CFISFM. This is Senior Moments. Well, welcome back, everybody. We've got Annie Booth and Zoe here from UMBC. Zoe Milletus. Milletus, M-E-L-L-I-T-U-S? Close, M-E-L-E-T-I-S. <laughs> She's a professor in geography, Annie. Oh, geography. Oh, my! one of my favorite subjects. Excellent. <laughs> so... If we're going to start using wind and solar and other forms, electrical uh, batteries and stuff like that, why are we doing this when we want to get rid of using oil and gas? Because industry is trying to extort the last little remnants out of these things. I mean, most countries are starting to move away from oil and gas production. And so they aren't putting in new plants. They aren't, you notice the trouble in terms of pipelines and new and oil fields, things like that. This is the last opportunity to use an existing thing to kind of squeeze the last bits of juice out of it yeah. before it disappears forever. The problem is they'll take Prince George with them. Yeah, exactly. It's an oxymoron. I mean, uh, Everybody's looking to the future, and and we could take this money that they want to spend and start wind and solar, because I've tried to get someone on here to talk about solar energy, and they said it's not a sale here. And we just need to offer it more and put some light on it, and, and uh, because there is sun, and we can accumulate it and store it. Yeah. And why aren't we? And why aren't we training people? Well, I see in Alberta, the the one university isn't going to do the uh, oil and gas industry part of their their courses. Yeah, I think you you raise a really good point. This is absolutely not the time to be investing in these kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. Oil and gas has been on the way out for at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. People aren't investing in it anymore. People aren't trading it. Uh, you know, demand is declining. And we all have to remember that plastics are petroleum products. Mm-hmm. And that's why... There's plastic production associated with this proposed project and set of facilities because, like Annie said, they're trying to squeeze the last life out of natural gas in this case, um, but at what cost? And also, you know, we're trying to get people to recycle more as educators, as citizens, Mm -hmm. as voters, um, and... Canada only recycles something like 9% of the plastic that ends up in its blue box. And now you're telling me it's a good idea for our city to be involved in the production of virgin plastics, first-run plastics, when we know we have so much plastic that we can turn to to downcycle, right? If, if we still need our plastics, which we do in some cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we certainly don't need to be involved in the production of nurdles um, for shipment abroad. It makes no sense. Oh, my God. And especially to countries that really have less laws about pollution than mm-hmm. we do. Kenya's the only one that... Kenya will fine you $50,000 if you have a, a, a single plastic bag. Good for them. 
I know, but they're the only country that really is enforcing the end of using plastic. But remember, plastics is a fairly recent invention. I mean, you probably remember as well as I do. Back in the 60s and 70s, you could go shopping, you could buy things at the market. It wouldn't be all encased in plastic. That's right. Right? And surprisingly few people died as a result of not having it encased in plastic. But now we're so used to it. We're used to walking into stores and seeing everything wrapped in plastic. We're used to walking in and grabbing our our plastic bags but that's just that's habit and convenience yes and a lot of it is simply getting people to think about the consequences of their actions mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it is understanding what's going to happen if you stick a plastics plant in the middle of a residential zone your kids aren't going to stay in prince george your no, kids are not. going to flee no you know people are going to get sick and have to leave because they cannot live here this will become a dying town mm-hmm. whereas what it could be now is a town that is starting to redefine itself and start to thrive as something that's diverse, mm-hmm. right? That ha- could have some really interesting uh, economic activities go on that are green or heading them into the future. It's got a beautiful natural environment. Still, this could be a desirable place going into the future Absolutely. that will expand in really interesting ways, yeah. but not yeah. if this goes through. And so this mantra of job, 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 we need a job is... It's knee-jerk reaction. Yes, mm-hmm. you need a job, but not the job you had in the 1960s. Well, and when I had the mayor on last time, we talked about the, how uh, we're doing fine as far as jobs goes. It's six percent, yeah. which is, you know, that was back in the uh, the 60s, I think, when it was six percent uh, uh, unemployment in Canada. This is not being driven by the jobs no. for the no. city and the regional district. It's being driven by the taxes. Yeah, right. You know, we were up at a meeting in Pine View, and when of the regional district councillors was there and said, we expect to get $2 million every year. Now, the Pineview resident who stood up and said, can you explain to me, will that $2 million stay in Pineview or are you going to send it all to Valmont? Yeah. That's a legitimate question. It is. But they're being driven by the $2 million and the 2 or $3 million the city will get. So it's not about jobs. That's just a bait and switch, a little smoke and mirrors. This is about the city and the regional district seeing 2 or $3 million come in every year. But again, what will they lose in terms of tax base? Well, what what they lose in uh, about uh, being um, old fogies from the you know the 1900s. You've got to get with the times. And what's a million dollars today? It's Nothing. nothing. And when you think of the debt that our federal government's got us into, what's a million dollars going to do? And what's it going to do here? You know, we need to have a vision of the future mm-hmm. and and stop living in the past because and you know what really ticks me off is that they used to have electric cars so back good. in the 1900s you know and and then they discovered gasoline yeah, and I think uh, we know, we know, right, that we need to wean ourselves off oil and gas. Yeah. We're a bit conflicted as a country um, and as a province because we got spoiled with space and resources and kind of doing what we want for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. I think the, the other thing about this project is coming back to your point about what's legal or illegal or what environmental legislation allows is the way this set of proposals is coming forward and not coming forward, right? There's a lot of gossip. There's a lot of stuff that's not being shared openly. That's because our system allows companies to do that. It allows them to put in piecemeal, one-by-one applications so that the proposed projects seem smaller and less impactful than they are, and there's no attention to the combined effects and the cumulative Mm -hmm. impacts. And I think... 
for Prince George and surrounding areas, you know, Prince George loves Prince George. Mm -hmm. We love our watershed. We love our airshed. We love our community. And, you know, this supposed silent majority that's not getting their say, show me the data. You know, WCO, you are just making that up. There's no data on the silent majority. That silent majority does not exist in the way they're saying. Prince Georgians love their place. And they're not going to send us back to the 1950s. No, no. no. But they need to be aware that this is coming. I don't think anybody realizes that West Olefins has, this week has put in its application to the Oil and Gas Commission. they have a they are already starting their mandated meetings under the bc environmental assessment act so they are actually in process they haven't shown up at the city council they haven't shown up um, at the regional district but they are starting their consultation process which is why they notified people in pineview Mm -hmm. which is that was a legal mandate but it wasn't public it wasn't in the paper until we actually got it into it yeah so they're doing it very quietly Talking to people oh. behind the scenes. Doing what they have to do and what they're the legally minimum. allowed to do as bare minimum. Yes. But that's why it's a lot of whispers and gossip. Yes. And so kudos to all the community activists yes. who've started, um, you know, Grasslands, Not Gaslands, yes. and our Too Close to Home group. Yes. There are two petitions circulating. Yes. No proof of this supposed in favor silent majority. Mm. The numbers are majority against. I know there was also a local um, media poll online also. So yes. majority against. Yeah. So, yes. you know, the community is not for this project, and maybe that's why they're not being so front and center about it. So they can paint it as a few kind of, you know, radicals opposing yes. yeah. everything when really it's pretty everyday citizens yeah. and farmers and family yeah. members and, you know, yeah. tradespeople. But the like, thing is, it's up to the city of Prince George, to the regional district, to the Pineview residents to get out there and start making noise. Right now, they can dismiss it as, oh, it's just Annie. It's just Zoe. Yeah, it's right. A Here couple she of goes people again. up Pineview yep. kind of thing. <laughs> and so if people are opposed, they really need to start writing letters to the regional district, to city and council who, who do actually have to do um, some steps, right? They have to rezone, get things set yeah. up for it. Now's the time to start saying, we don't want it. Now's the time to write to the Minister of Agriculture. All the minister. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. ministers yeah. and say, yeah. we don't want this. To the Oil and Gas Commission yeah. and say, we don't want this. Just email them, send a letter, start making this look like a place that West Olefins does not want to be. Well, um, I, I got a thing from the Green Party um, to sign saying stop funding uh, climate polluters, oil and gas. And so uh, because of the drought and the floods and the the climate change and, and, uh, I mean, so this is the Green Party. It's the one party that really is caring about what is happening. And also, it's not just caring about what is happening. We're out of this. We're moving forward. We're going to have electric cars. We're going to have all kinds of different, like, hydrogen-run vehicles. I had someone on talking about that. And so this is... Like moot. We yeah, need this is regressive. This yes. isn't neutral. Yes. This is putting regressive. Prince George in reverse. Yeah. Taking us back to decades nobody wants to go back to yeah. in terms of quality environment and quality of life. Yeah. And it affects a lot of things. Agricultural land in, in the region will be affected. Yes. Right? Both the sites, water. Both sites right? require yeah. exemptions from the agricultural land reserve. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is designed to protect communities to ensure that the yes. province has enough viable agricultural yes. land. 
and it will contaminate the Fraser River. Yes. So people downstream, West Vancouver is going to see yeah. the contaminants yeah. shipped downstream. It will go into the air shed. So people, you know, within many miles of here are going to have bad air quality. If people were complaining about the fires yeah. and the smoke, this will be 24-7, 365 yeah, well, days of the year. Those great big stacks. Yes. Like they used to have in, um, where the nickel Sudbury. Absolutely. There Sudbury. will be flares. There will yes. be stacks. There will yeah. be more pipeline. I guarantee you when everybody was kind of struggling to walk their dogs in the smoky air recently, yes. thinking about all of our poor neighbors facing evacuations everywhere, no one was thinking to themselves, you know what we really need? We really Our need pollution. a massive investment in petrochemical yes. development really close to our houses. Yep. I feel like I'd be much more That's Happy. a secure future. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nobody was having those thoughts, right? Yes. They were thinking, my goodness, this is coming much sooner than we thought. The impacts are hitting closer to home. Yes. What can we do to build a better future? And remember when the Enbridge pipeline blew up? Oh, yep. Yes. Yes. So a very because similar plant blew yeah. up in Taylor not too long ago. Oh, that's right. Right? Yeah. That, yeah. that means that half of Prince George is evacuated. Yep. Imagine it. Imagine living with it. Now, that guy that came into uh, Pineview and talked to the people there, he, his arrogant attitude about, I would have thought that the people of Prince George would have... You mean pre- Ken James? Yes. He hasn't been up to Pineview yet. Has he not? He has not accepted their invitation. Oh, but, really? But I think that's indicative, right? Yeah. He's not. He doesn't live here. Yeah. He's not based in Prince George. Yeah. He has no personal risks tied to this project, not like the rest of us. No. Their website is very slick. It it's is. beautiful. Yeah. There's not a lot of information there. Um, and it really paints a very... I would say inauthentic story about yeah. what's going on. And that's something that really rubs PGers the wrong way too, I think, right? Like this is a city with soul and grit and yeah. we don't like it when people manipulate don't us tell yeah. the truth. About yeah. The only people he is talking to are the people who agree with the project. So there's a group that meets oh, down at course. Winston's, the yeah. Winston Breakfast Club, oh, really? movers and shakers. He talks to them quite a bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. he's done a couple of interviews. You can find them online in which he says, Oh, what we'll do is when we come in into the proposal uh, and go to city council, we'll just pack the council chambers with our supporters because that impresses the mayor. And the mayor has said to him, we are impressed when all your supporters show up. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so there is us? a plan here yeah. to kind of push this through mm-hmm. and to ignore opposition. I have asked four times for mayor and council to tell us where they stand on this and they have not. They haven't. I think it's important to remember, too, though, that they went away before, right? This is a set of proposals. They've been shopping around unsuccessfully, I think, in about four locations now. Yes. And what they're doing is looking for the path of least resistance. And that's why I think they are doing an effective job of annoying citizens here enough that everybody is starting to write letters, stand up, call in, because... They are. We are not the path of least resistance. We love this place. We love Pineview. We love the green spaces. We yeah. love our neighborhoods. And nobody should be too close to such a facility. Including the Clayton Tanay, who just came out in opposition to it. Oh, this is good. unseated. Yes, oh, good. strong yeah. opposition. Yeah. I was just thinking of Sudbury. And when I went back in, on the train to Ontario, and that you knew... 35 miles out that you were coming into Sudbury because mm-hmm. there was not a green leaf. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sarnia has something like this. Yes. I think what people don't understand in Sarnia, 
Baby boys are an endangered species at this point because of the contamination. It's usually about 48% baby boys, 52% baby girls. Yeah. In Sarnia, only about 35 out of 100 boys are now born because of the contamination from the plastics plant and, yeah, and the children. disruption. Yes. It sort yes. of messes with your reproductive yes. system and hormone balances. Yeah. So that's a concern, not just for the community, but also the potential workers well and, documented. Yeah. Wildlife yeah. and fish. Yeah. All are Sorry. affected. It we sounds need like to wind up. It sounds like Brazil. <laughs> anyway, thank you for this. I'm gonna get see if I can get Olafen to do an interview. Oh, I, I think you should. I we'll, do we'll too. watch from out the other side of the window. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having us. Oh, here. we'll thank have you, you back. We are, this is not over. We'll have you back and and keep things up to date and keep sure. us up to date. You should get the Pine View people in. They're yeah. very passionate. I will. Yeah. I will. To them. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Thank you so thank much you. for thank this you. time. And uh, we'll say goodbye till next week when you can tune in and listen to more uh, exciting information. Exciting. I was just thinking. Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM and the Prince George Council of Seniors. Senior Moments is produced by Sharon Hurd with production assistance from A.J. Fair. Theme music is courtesy of Goff Brooks Music. Catch the rebroadcast of today's show tonight at 9 or replay past shows through the podcast at cfisfm.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM.